Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. Alrighty, 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 everybody. We are here. We are here on a Monday. On a Monday. I'm in work clothes. I am not. <laughs> we are Whiskey and Wonder. I'm Tyler. And I'm Megan. You just saw that on YouTube if you're there. If not, I would suggest go there. Um, yeah, it's a Monday. Yeah, it is. And we're Whiskey and Wonder, which is a podcast where we review whiskey every week and uh, teach each other something that has made us wonder. Absolutely. And again, episode 90. I, I can't, I can't get over believe that we're in at my 90. Head. Yeah. yeah, 10 more to 100. I haven't even thought about any kind of celebration or anything. We have to do something for 100. Yeah, like, I know. What's 10 weeks from now? That's going to line up pretty dang close to Christmas or Thanksgiving, right? I, math is hard. I'm Time counting. is a concept. <laughs> that, oh, wow. What? <laughs> it's, uh, let me count again here, but I think it's the week before Halloween. Oh, snap. <laughs> no, it's, uh, counting this one, 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97, 98, 98. It's either the week of Halloween or the week before. Oh, that's exciting. Yep. AF. Yep, so I guess we'll have to do some kind of special. Yeah, I'm sure counting was a, me counting there was a quick, <laughs> quick thrilling. Anyway, we're going to get the show on the road now after we've stroked ourselves enough here. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is episode 90. We've been doing this for... Uh, Over a year yeah, and a almost, half. Almost, almost two, two years. years. Yeah, because we did our very first special. was a Halloween special, so mm -hmm. we, we're getting right at the two-year mark here. Um, and we still don't know what we're doing. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> swinging it. So we're going to, we're going to go ahead on that note, guys, just dive into some of the announcements. Uh, it's the same old stuff, so we'll make it quick. Check out the Patreon. Um, it's whiskeyandwonder.com. I'm sorry. It's patreon.com slash whiskeyandwonder, or you can check us out at whiskeyandwonder.com too. Yep. Um, we've got a bunch of cool features over there. The coolest one, in my opinion, is... Voting on the infinity bottles there on the the whiskey cabinet over there behind Megan's head. I'm still uh, waiting for another bottle uh, to empty so that we can do a, a scotch one, start a scotch one. But when we do, I will put all the scotches. I think I have four that we've done. Um, they're sitting in the cabinet there. They'll all go in there. And then you guys all get to vote on them uh, over at Patreon. So... Um, that's, that's one of the coolest benefits. I think some of the other stuff, you get some discount on some merch, you get, um, you get early access to episodes if you go up a tier from that. So for everybody that is on Patreon, you're getting this a day late. We apologize for that. But for everybody else, you're getting this at your regular time on Thursday. Correct. So, um, check out our store. It is whiskeyandwonder.com slash store. I had to wait for it to load. I had to click on it to get there. Thumbs um, up. Yes. We have t-shirts. We have stickers. We have uh, whiskey tumblers with our logos on them. You want it. We got it. It's there for you. Indeed. Um, also, while you're over there, take, uh, take a gander. I can't talk today. Take a gander at uh, the website. I mean, yeah. we we built this thing. We worked hard. It might not look like it. It might look like a kid did it. Just kidding. Because <laughs> I am a kid. Um, no, but we worked hard on this, uh, website, you know, it gives a little bit about who we are. If you don't know, it 
shows all the whiskeys we've done. It's got a list of things that we want to try, a list of things that you guys have recommended we try. Um, so yeah, take a take a gander around whiskeyandwonder.com. And uh, let's see. We have not forgot about the 5,000 listen celebration. It is well on the way. Indeed. Um, so we'll keep your eyes and ears peeled for that. Indeed. And it'll be mostly on YouTube or Instagram. So, uh, Speaking of Instagram, check us out at Whiskey Podcast on Instagram. Uh, you can find us on YouTube just by searching Whiskey and Wonder. If you do like us on YouTube, make sure you subscribe and uh, hit the bell and all that good stuff we need i think it's like a thousand subscriptions to get a lovely like youtube.com slash whiskey and wonder so that would help us out if you you could subscribe there and um everything else is in the show notes the only one out that i want to throw out there is contact at whiskeyandwonder.com that is our email straight to us we also have in the show notes direct ones to us individually if you want to tell us something tell us you liked us tell us you hated us tell us you you know, you like the whiskey, you didn't like the whiskey, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah, anything. Yeah. Talk to us. We miss our mail time segment. We do. So we haven't done that in months, and you know what? We might just have to do away with it. So Sad. Uh, the last thing we want to do, as always, is just take a minute and thank those that are uh, patrons over at Patreon or that support us via PayPal and donations and people that have donated whiskeys and and. and you. You right there. Yes. The you. person that's watching. Or listening. Or listening. Yes. You guys, that helps us too. Liking, subscribing, rating, reviewing, telling your friends, telling your mom, tell your uncle. Everyone. Yeah. Even that weird cousin you have that may or may not be on meth. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, Shelby and I have been watching Breaking Bad again. Uh, uh, all right. She, I'm, I'm watching it again. She's never seen it. So Shelby's never seen it. She can't get through like the first season and a half. Okay. Yeah, so. Um, but yeah, anyway, tell tell all your friends and help spread the word. Every little bit counts. Yes, yes it does. So, Whew, That's a mouthful. It's always a mouthful. I try to get through it real quick for you guys. I hope I hope y'all appreciate that. But on that note, we're going to go ahead and jump in. <laughs> open segment all right so did that just blare your ears out yes it was very loud yeah okay mine too yeah i don't think that's gonna come through on y'all's end i think that's because i was listening to some music in here last week when i was researching and turned the volume up just a smidge on our end hopefully just on our end uh yeah everything else looks pretty good so megan I... i let me ask a question yes why are we recording on a monday um, I am still concussed and, um, yesterday was just rough. Um, all, all over kind of this whole weekend was a hard weekend. So, um, yeah, I just needed a, an extra day and since you were good with it, I was appreciative that you, uh, were all right and recording today. So thank oh, you. Yeah. Well, you know, I, didn't uh, honestly yesterday was a <clears throat> just a day that Shelby and I spent at her house. We were excited to watch our 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 whole weekend got thrown off this week. 
Um, yeah, we were. I worked Friday night, and then I turned around and worked again Saturday morning. Um, not a not an entire shift, but the uh, the owners at the brewery were on vacation and needed somebody to to do what they normally do on Saturday mornings at the bar. So I I handled that for them. Um, and yeah, so uh, I'm trying to think what else I did on Saturday. I I sat there and had a beer after I was done. Got some lunch. Played some guitars at Guitar Center, which is right across the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I originally had planned to go to Sam's Club. I Shelby told me that they have a flat top griddle for or a, fa- a flat top grill for two hundred bucks. It's a four burner, and I've been watching some YouTube videos on it and reading some reviews. Apparently, it's it's decent quality. It's up there with some of the brand names, and so I've been flirting with that. And I was originally going to go look at that, and then I realized it's Saturday. Oh, Sam's yeah. Club is going to be packed, and I'm going to end up smacking somebody. <laughs> so I better, better not. To, better I, to wait. I better go to Guitar Center instead. So I went there and played some guitar for a little bit, and then came home and just kind of did a couple things I needed to around the house that I've, I've either been waiting on weather to do or putting off. Um, nothing crazy. I sprayed some weed killer in my yard and stuff like that. Um, and then went over to Shelby's house and we were going to sit down and we were going to watch the race, the last race of the uh, regular season, as NASCAR really wants to call it. <laughs> and damn if it didn't get rained out. Aww. So they moved it to Sunday. So Shelby and I again watched Breaking Bad. And Sunday morning we get up and go to uh, watch the race and they start it, but it ends up getting halfway through. They It started raining on the track and they crashed pretty much every car except for like 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was a long rain delay. I took uh, took my dog over to my buddy's house to introduce him to their new dog. I don't think you know about that. I don't. Is I don't know about a new dog. Oh, yeah. Uh, my other friend with an Aussie has gotten a new dog. Really? Yes, but it is not another Aussie. No. No. What is uh, it? I don't know. Is it, it's a... They don't know. It's yeah, a mutt. It's a mutt, yeah. Is it a puppy or adult or... Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> they don't know anything. I, I I don't know what they know. I don't know. Okay. Um. Well, that's exciting. It's got the energy of a puppy. That's for sure. That's but... exciting. How big is it? So it's a tiny dog. Yeah, it's a small dog. Like it's like half the size of Bo. Okay. Yeah, I'd call that maybe, a small dog. Maybe smaller than that. He's a, he's an ankle biter. He kept biting Bo's ankles. Oh. <laughs> anyway, point being, we wanted to introduce uh, those two, especially after uh, this past Monday. Oh, that's right. That was after the last episode. Mm-hmm. I, I can talk about that real quick. Um. I may or may not have mentioned on here that the bar was trying to do a dog get-together. And I we talked about how horrible of an idea that was. Yeah. Oh, and okay. Well, good. Guess Pre- what? Premonition. <laughs> it was a horrible idea. Yeah. Um, so everybody I work with was super uh, sweet and nice and helpful in the whole situation. They all... 
did everything. I, I couldn't ask anything else of him. But make a long story short, um, there one guy has two dogs. One of the dogs is very anxious, and to uh, because of that, the other dog is very protective. And Bo just happened to get a little too close to the one dog, and he bit him on the nose. And it was a pretty gnarly, yeah, bite. pretty gnarly bite. It was uh, not a warning at all. It was a, yeah, it was a bite, bite. Yeah, and they were so sweet about it. You know, they they checked on him for days, like making sure he was doing okay, and they offered to pay any vet bills or anything like that. They're super nice, super sweet, and things just happened to coincide so that he he had his annual appointment in like a week and a half scheduled anyway already. So I called the vet, and they were like, "Yeah, we can move it up, no problem." So no harm, no foul, but poor dude got the got the crap scared out of him and poor buddy. And uh took it like a champ on the nose. He's got some wicked looking scars, but it's <laughs> it's healing good. Um the vet gave him an antibiotic. He kept licking Neosporin off when I was putting it on there. I figured he would. Yeah. I can't couldn't put a cone on him because it's on his nose. Yeah. So what good does that do? And so he got that and then they gave him a little or they wanted to give him gabapentin. Mm-hmm. Um, which they wanted to give him that just to like make it stop itching, itching and hurting, yeah. and just him licking it, and scratching it, and int- ironically, because of my fucked up forearms, the itch, I have gabapentin. Oh hey, I have prescription gabapentin. So I told the doctor, and they were like, "Yeah, save some cash, just use yours." Because I actually uh, have a different pill that I take for that condition. I don't take the gabapentin. And, um, yeah, that actually, I took one of those last night because I was itching and I took it at like nine thirty, mm-hmm. and it says it makes you drowsy. It doesn't me. No, you can stay up. And- I can stay up through. I can take it at four o'clock in the afternoon and be fine. Oh, wow. I will be a motherfucker the next morning. I will be almost dead. Oh, I am groggy. I, I didn't come out of the grogginess until one o'clock or so this afternoon. Oh, wow. That's about when the grogginess wore off. That sucks. Yeah, it, I hate taking those, but sometimes I got to because I'll sit there yeah, and, and the, it, itch, the itch and... will wake me up from a dead sleep. Oh, that would... It's miserable. That sounds awful. I'm yeah. so sorry. That's fine. It is what it is. My fault. Still sucks. Sun damage. Sun damage, kids. Wear sunscreen. Or long sleeves. That protect you. Yeah. But anyway... That's been the story of my life for the last week. All right. Well, um, I don't have anything super crazy to add other than I'm still concussed. Um, have a checkup redo visit with my doctor tomorrow to see if I'm allowed to do anything um, again. So I'm hoping uh, for good news and... Um, I guess we'll see. He did give me some... Um, muscle relaxers to take right before bed to help me stay asleep uh, because I've been waking up with a with my headache um, just multiple times throughout the night and so I got that filled on Thursday um, and it knocks me out so uh, it's been a few days now where I've actually been able to sleep through the night which has been a nice change since this concussion um, other than that it's been a lot of like rest and relaxation um got a nintendo switch from my good friend jamie so thank you jamie for the switch nice yeah 
Um, and other than that, I mean, I literally don't have a whole lot to add. And I have a short winter segment today, so might be a little bit shorter episode than normal. All right. Well, but that's what I got, guys. That is that is absolutely fine. Um, all right. Well, uh, oh, I did have one more thing I wanted to re- have you remind me yes. when we're done. Um, I want to know what your schedule looks like this week, specifically this weekend and next weekend. I think I know what it typically is. Okay. But we're going to have to figure something out schedule-wise. So Okay. All right. On that note, I know that was really cryptic, guys. I'm sorry, but <laughs> Megan and I need to talk about it offline. Opening the bottle. You did it perfect. I got it. Oh, yay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You did it. I've been trying for so long. For 90 episodes, guys. Yeah, for real. <laughs> um, all right. So this is, if, if you guys remember several weeks ago now, uh, we did the Booker's that's only released quarterly. And this is another quarterly release that I happened to find that same day at that same store. Yes. So um, This is the Smoke Wagon Uncut and Unfiltered Bourbon. And I have to say the bottle is very, very nifty. Um, I like the bottle a lot. There's like a wax seal pressed into like the glass and then there's like flowers and stuff all over it. It's very, very pretty bottle. Um, so Nevada H and C distilling company was founded in 2012 by Aaron Japenik and Jonathan Hainsley in Las Vegas, Nevada sourced from MGP in Indiana. The company ages their whiskey in the Nevada desert and leans on bespoke blending to differentiate their whiskey from other MGP sourced whiskeys. The company started releasing their uncut, unfiltered straight bourbon in 2017 and quickly grew in popularity, releasing 21 batches of Smoke Wagon Uncut Unfiltered in 2020 alone. Their small batch and uncut unfiltered releases both come with a stamped wax seal of two crossed guns and the phrase Bibemus Moriundum, denoting drink for we must die, or according to the company, Drink and enjoy today because we won't be around forever. So you said they really they have released how many in twenty twenty one? Twenty seventeen. Nope, twenty twenty. They released um twenty one batches. Twenty one batches. Okay. Well, then maybe I was told wrong by the people at the ABC store, but I know it's a small batch, something that's not not released. Uh, just. Every day, you can't just go get it off the yes, off the shelf every single day. Um, one thing, sorry, I'm getting away from the mic here. One thing that I do want to note, <laughs> not usually do I promote this sort of thing, um, but this man, I don't remember what was it. What was the first guy's name that you said? Um. Oh, what is uh, Aaron Chapinick? Yeah, that guy. I strongly suggest everyone go check out his Instagram. Um, how do you spell that? Chapinic? Uh It is A-A-Ron and then Chapinic C-H-E-P-E-N-I-K. Chapinic? 
Chapinic. Yeah, there it is. This man's Instagram. Is it awesome or? It's awesome. Like he wears a cowboy hat. He's a big, burly dude. He's always smoking a cigar and drinking whiskey <laughs> by his pool. It could be 10 a.m. in the middle of the day and he's, he's smoking, smoking a cigar, a cigar and pool. has whiskey. He's living the freaking life. Man. Um, Must be nice. So, yeah, this, I just love scrolling through his Instagram, see what he's up to. But I, the reason I bring it up is because I was actually able to go back through the Instagram and I found where he was like talking about each batch and a little bit. So I actually found, I don't know, Megan, if you missed it. I did not say the batch number um, that we have right here. This is batch number, what is it, 149? Yeah, see, it's right there on the back there. Oh, that's blurry. You're not going to be able to see it. It's batch 149. It was bottled June 15th, 2020. So I was actually able to go back on his Instagram and find out what he thought about this batch. That is really cool. Yeah, it, it was pretty freaking awesome. I don't remember exactly what it was off the top of my head because it's been uh, at least a month since I went and did that. But All right. I would highly recommend everybody go check them out. Go find batch 149. All right. Uh, well, according to their website, uh, no water added because none is needed. We took the same vintage blending philosophy that we used to create small batch, except this time the goal was to create high-proof bourbon that tasted its best neat. Uncut is so rich and sweet with an unbelievably thick mouthfeel. The heat and rye spice finish are a welcome addition. It's like milk and cookies. So um, I know I smelled it uh, quite a bit. Um, Oh, and this, by the way, is the... 2017, 2020, and 2021 uh, double gold winner at the San Francisco World Spirits competition. Um, and when I smelled it, I'm it is definitely sweet. Very, very sweet. Um, before we move into smelling, I just oh. I have one more little note I wanted yes, to... Yes, sir. Do you have the... You mentioned they sourced their whiskey from... Somewhere in Indiana. M- M- MGP. MGP, yeah. I don't know if we've talked about that on here. So I just want to touch on it real quick. Mm, I don't think, I don't know if we have or not. Okay, so I'm just going to teach y'all, or, or not teach y'all, but just kind of <clears throat> MGP, I forget what it stands for, um, but it's basically in Indiana, there was an old, I believe it was Seagram's Distillery that basically was purchased and they distill a lot of whiskey there. They distill a lot of spirits there. Some of your actual big brands come from there. And it's when you see like blended so and so like like for instance, let's just take and I have no idea if this comes from there or not, but High West Whiskey Campfire. How it's a blend of bourbon, rye and scotch. Well, they might get the bourbon, rye, and scotch from MGP and blend it in-house. Yeah. You know, they're kind of like a supplier of whiskey. And you'll see this with a lot of young, uh, kind of more craft uh, whiskey makers is they'll, they're, you know, they just don't have, if you want to start up a business and you want a whiskey that's, you know, 10 years old, <laughs> you can't, you know, you kind of got to start 10 years ago or you got to source it. Yes. And so 
Um, It'll be very interesting to see since this is known sourced whiskey, how yes. it changes when they start. In 2027, it'll be of 10, 10 years since they've opened. Yeah, so. you know, I, I don't even know what the age is on this. I don't know if it's 10 years or what, but when they start producing their own whiskey. Yes. That'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the, the contrast is there because, I mean, let's face it, Las Vegas and Indiana. Indiana? Yep. Yeah, Indiana. Um, you know, that's two totally different climates. Definitely mm-hmm. different properties. So anyway, that was just what I wanted to toss out there. Maybe I'll do a little more research and add a little more to that in yeah. future episodes. Definitely. Even just looking at um, MGP's... Uh, website, you can pull up their like distilled spirits list and it talks about, you know, they have like uh, 45% wheat bur- bourbon and 99% corn bourbon, 21% rye, 49% barley, um, gin distilled lemon lime, gin distilled citrus berry, um, lots and lots of different offerings. So yeah. it's, it's pretty nifty. And um, MGP of Indiana stands for Midwest Grain Products of Indiana. It makes sense. Formerly... Lawrenceburg Distillers, Indiana. That makes sense to me. Um, let's see here. Uh, one primary product of Indiana is uh, a straight rye whiskey with 95% rye mash bill, which is bottled under various brand names, including Angel's Envy, Bullet Rye, George Dickel Rye, and Templeton Rye. That's some... Uh, that's some big names. Yeah, We've done is. two of those. And I've seen George Dickel Rye several times. Um, but anyway, uh, as far as bourbon goes, they also, they do, they do uh, produce for High West as well. So anyway, just a little food for thought there. So let's talk about this, this whiskey. Well, um, I've been smelling it. And like I said, it's very, very sweet. Um, it's, I'm getting like a sweet bread, um, like a monkey bread pull apart, um, or like a a cinnamon bread pull apart. Um, I have that like grain, um, like smell in there, but it's definitely layered with a lot of sweetness. Um, getting maybe a little bit of a hint of apple, um, but overwhelmingly, it's it's caramel. Um, it's you, it's sugar. I mean, I can't I can't really think of anything else to call it. What okay. Are you, what are you feeling? So, did you uh, just curious? I just got a little bit more information on it. Did you mention it's a blend of four, six, and ten year old whiskeys? I did not. Okay. So that is. Uh, um, potentially this says there's rumors as high as 12 years, uh, that can get blended. So, um, I've smelled this and I definitely get a lot of sweet, but I get some fruit in there as well. I, I said, I think I get a little bit of apple, but other than that, it's yeah, very, it's very, very sweet. it's very crisp. Um, to me, it's definitely vanilla and caramel. Yeah. I get a little bit of burn on the nose, but. I wouldn't call it cinnamon. Um, yeah, I. That's the overwhelming. And I was, I was saying like, yeah, 
That's monkey bread is what I'm going to call it. Yeah, but I, when I think monkey bread, I think cinnamon. Yeah, so, that's... I don't I don't really get the cinnamon part no? of it. Yeah, I definitely get sweet, but I don't get cinnamon. Oh, I get cinnamon. Um, I don't know. If I breathe out and then immediately breathe in, I'm getting cinnamon. But what do I know? Um, so for this batch, um, it looks like we are supposed to be smelling apples and apricots. Um, baking spices and caramel. So. Well, I definitely get the caramel and apple. Yes. Baking spices, I'll agree with. Don't get apricot. Not it, when I When I first said fruit, I was thinking something dark like that. Uh, but when you said apple, I definitely got that crispness, crispness too. Um, but I, I wasn't able to put my finger on you know what what kind of fruit honestly i thought this might i again you know just because the process is so complicated with them kind of i i don't know if what they're blending is aged you know in yeah. in indiana or there um i i honestly thought it was just something cherry cask oh. that was kind of the the Fruit flavor I got from it, it reminded me of something that had been in a sherry cask. Um, but it is crisp, and I do get that apple, and I, I definitely get caramel. I can I can kind of put, I can force the baking spices to be there, but I would probably wouldn't have got that on my own. Now, I see Megan take a sip, made a face, thought on it, made another body gesture like, I don't even know if that was like one of those like, oh, or like one of those. Oh. <laughs> it was more. Um, it does not. I was not expecting the taste with how it smells. It was very, very, very hot, very spicy. Um, well, it is. Uh, it is a hundred and. It is a very high proof, and it's I. It's one hundred fourteen and a half. And it it smells very sweet, so I didn't remember how high it was so i wasn't expecting how intense the spice and the burn was when it first hit me which is kind of why i was like oh wait um so that was kind of my first overwhelming instinct was that that burn um wow yeah <laughs> wow it burns it burns a lot now in fairness that's the first sip i'm just cleaning all the bacteria and all the crap out of my mouth Second sip, I'm prepared for it now. Second sip was better. Um, I'm, I'd say I'm getting a lot of cinnamon, cin- cinnamon, like big red cinnamon. Um, and on top of the big red, I'm getting typical kind of bourbon, vanilla, caramel. Um, but I'm getting a lot more of the baking spices. For this, so I'm getting cinnamon. I'm getting um, like a nutmeg. Um, I, it very like sweet bread spices is what I'm. I'm still getting. I get definitely starts with. Uh, well, let me say it this way: the the overwhelming um, flavor is. Or not even flavor. I get a lot of cinnamon that transitions into black pepper. Um, but I also get dark fruit, 
again, kind of going back to that sherry cask, kind of a cherry almost type flavor. I could say cherry. That transitions on the on the last notes to I got a little hint of orange. I 100% this is the first time I've ever been able to pick out orange in a bourbon or in a whiskey. So that was why it stood out to me. So it's very, very mild, but it's right there on the back end. So. Huh. I, looking for the orange, have not found it yet, but I could see the cherry, like you said. Um, I'm, there's some, the flavor kind of mixed in with the spice that I haven't been able to pick out yet. Um, I think it's, it's maybe some sort of a nut, like a, I don't know, like an almond or a pecan or cashew or. I, I don't, I don't, I couldn't pick a nut out, out of that. The, the fruit and the spice is too overwhelming. There is no sweet to it. None at all. And when I say that I get the orange, I mean, it's like after There's it's orange. gone down, it kind of comes back up a little bit orange. Okay. And that sounds disgusting. I'm sorry. <laughs> that. Like, like, I guess it's as my saliva is running down the back of my throat after I swallow. It tastes a little bit orangey. I get that. Yes. Okay. okay. So I can I'm not accept crazy. that. You're not crazy. I get that. I All get right. citrus when my mouth is empty. Yes. There's definitely, definitely some rye spice. Yeah. You know, this, like I said, it's kind of a cinnamon that transitions into a, a pepper. black pepper. Yeah. So um, this is very interesting. I expected a lot more sweet. I was expecting something very sweet and desserty. This is yeah. not. Yeah. I'm, this is. <laughs> I can't say what I was going to say. Uh, it's too politi- too politically incorrect. Um, uh, real quick, though, I, yep. I would you turn around and in the whiskey cabinet, pull out the bottle I wanted to do, and just tell me the proof of that, please. I let Megan pick our whiskeys the last several weeks, and uh, I'm just curious. Don't show it on the podcast, ding dong, on the video, ding dong. 129. 129. Yeah. Just uh, just to ride, just to, this is one fourteen and a half. <laughs> I think that I think the one I have in the in there might be the highest we've ever done. We've ever done. Oof. I had one that was high, almost that high that we haven't done yet. Oof. So, um, yeah. Oof. All right. So, what are um, we supposed to taste? The palate opens with a rich and thick mouthfeel that's sweet at first, opening up to white pepper, caramel apples, roasted almond and pecans, vanilla, and baking spices all around. The finish is long, warm, and smooth with a chili pop, and chili as in chili pepper pop. Um, I mean, uh, definitely the chili pepper, the spices... Uh, yeah, I'm getting, I'd say that's a pretty accurate summary, um, other than I'm lacking caramel apple. I'm I'm lacking caramel. Yeah, I don't get much sweet in this. Um, yeah, interesting. I, sorry, the reason I paused there awkwardly was I was salivating and kind of getting a little bit of a woody flavor from the. Salivation, so. Hmm. Uh, anyway. All right. Well, on that note, folks, we're going to go ahead uh, and jump into 
I see your finger over there. Okay. Um, we're going to jump into the wonder segment. But first, it's time for our ad break. Here at Whiskey and Wonder, we love our dogs just as much as our whiskey, which is why we love our partnership with BarkBox, the monthly subscription service to spoil your pooch. BarkBox will send you two specially themed toys, two bags of treats, and a chew every month. Our pod dogs go crazy seeing their new goodies every month, and their themes are always super exciting, like Star Wars, Harry Potter, and Stranger Things. Get a free box when you sign up using our link at BarkBox.com slash Whiskey and Wonder, and that's Whiskey with an E. BarkBox.com slash Whiskey and Wonder. Do it. Do it now. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah, you did a great job, Megan. Um, so... Yep, we're going to start incorporating ad breaks in here. Sorry, guys. Got to help support the podcast. Moving on up. Moving yep. on up. Um, we, we're we going to slowly inject them into your veins, like them or not. Uh, but And until then, you can go see the rest of our lovely partners over at whiskeyandwonder.com slash sponsors. Or you can scroll down to the scroll, the scroll notes, the show notes, and a link an affiliate link will be in the description there. So, on that specific note. It's time for the Wonder Segment. Teach me today. Right. Imagine it. A feathered monster able to look a grown person straight in the eye with its own hazardous orange eyes. The bird weighs in at over 120 pounds, making it the second largest bird alive today, the first being its cousin, the ostrich. But today, I'm talking about emus. Oh. Giant, terrifying emus. Lemu, emu, <laughs> and Doug. <laughs> Not a sponsor, by the way. <laughs> when I first moved to North Carolina, I was invited to go to a drive-through zoo where you can interact with the animals. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. <laughs> I've been there many a times as a child. <laughs> um, we decided to ride in the bed of the truck, me, Houston, his middle sister, and her then-boyfriend. The youngest sister rode inside the cab with her then-boyfriend, the driver. We got some buckets of feed, and off we went to explore the wildlife. And lo and behold, the very first creature to approach the fire engine red pickup was an emu. Hell spawn. <laughs> a modern fucking dinosaur. A goddamn raptor was what approached the truck. And rather than politely taking food, it dove its head straight into the bucket and began to violently inhale whatever the pellet kibble stuff is. We wrestled the cup away from the creature and drove on, except this bird followed. It followed the truck for nearly the entire trip through the whole zoo, past the zebras and the water buffalo. Moreover, it would circle the bed, waiting for someone to get distracted with another animal so that the emu could then strike and gobble down more of the bucket. I don't know why it chose us to torment. There were several other people there that day. Maybe it's because we were the only idiots that decided to ride in the open bed of a pickup truck where it had easy access and couldn't have a window rolled up on its ridiculously long neck. But anyway, it was terrifying. Um, if, if 
memory serves, I believe emus hate the color red. I don't. Or is it, or is it shiny things? It's one of the two. I, it, emus are terrifying, and that was is my... It, is it emu or emu? I've always said emu. I've always emu. heard emu. I don't know. Emu, emu. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's literally what I'm going by right now. And Doug. I'm I'm Sorry. guessing Again, it it's a not sponsored. It's a like um a area thing. You say it differently depending on where you live, maybe like Yeah. Dialect. Like tomato. Yeah, dialect. Different tomato. Dialect. Exactly. Potato. <laughs> um so I totally understand why humans declared an actual honest to goodness war on these things. Yes, the Australian government declared war on the emus in 1932. And guess what? Australia fucking lost. Mm -hmm. Humans lost a war to emus. Let's learn about it. To get to the war, we actually have to travel back nearly 20 years to 1915 when the Australian government launched a soldier settlement program to help veterans of the First World War find a stable lifestyle and career. The program gave discharged soldiers a plot of land in Western Australia to turn into farmland. But to be honest, the whole program is kind of a wreck to begin with. Firstly, the land allotted was supposed to be crown land. This is a territorial area belonging to a monarch. It's all very Game of Thrones, basically a law enacted to ensure land would remain to the same family where it could not be sold off or written away in a will or something of the like. That was the purpose of crown land back in the Dark Ages or whatever. More modern eras now see crown land as public land, and it is considered separate from a family's or a monarch's private estate. So to make sure you're following, Australia was supposed to give veterans a lot of public land to make into their farms, except there wasn't enough crown land to go around, and so a lot of the land was acquired. By 1924, just over 24 million acres had been acquired or allocated. Of this, nearly 6.3 million acres was purchased, and 18 million acres was crown land set aside. 23.2 million acres had been allotted 200, or no, <laughs> had been allotted 23,367 farms across Australia. The government agreed that federally the land would be supplied, but local state governments would read applications, grant permissions, and grant the land. Veterans, nurses, and female relatives of deceased soldiers were allowed to apply for the settlement scheme. There were also rules for those that qualified. You were to remain residing on that land for five years. In this way, remote rural areas set aside for such settlement were guaranteed a population explosion, which remained to increase infrastructure in the area. Soldiers who were successful in gaining such a block of land had the opportunity to start a farming life in a number of rural activities, including wool, dairy, cattle, pigs, fruit, fodder, and grain. But the land given was often hard to work or lacked necessities for agriculture. Annie Smith, a returned nurse who began a dairy farm in Thorpedale near Moe was repeatedly criticized by overseers from the Closer Settlement Board for having to hire labor to do some of the more difficult physical tasks. 
The board disregarded the fact that the plot she had been assigned had no water, and that Smith often obtained local labor for free, swapping nursing advice for one-off jobs. In 1926, Smith vacated the lot with no war pension left and mounting debt. Confounding the board's assumption that her status as a single woman had rendered her unequal to the task, the two subsequent male owners of the property also failed to make the land profitable. And Annie's story was a common one. Many new farmers just walked off the land, never to return where they couldn't cope with the climate, poor quality of life, and their pleas for assistance in acquiring stock that went ignored by the government. Despite the fact that Aboriginal Australians fought alongside other Australian troops in both world wars, only a very small number of indigenous applications were successful. Then the Great Depression hit around 1929, and the farmers were encouraged to increase their wheat crops. They were promised government subsidies that never actually happened, and of course the prices fell despite whatever farmers did to increase gains. October 1929 was when things really came to a head, as farmers harvested their crops while at the same time threatening to refuse to deliver the wheat. Now, in case you weren't aware, emus are migratory birds. Their breeding season they spend near the coast but move inland when breeding is over. The birds saw the newly cleared land and the additional sources of water and decided that these areas were perfect to settle in. This my home now. <laughs> Basically. I dare you to take it from me. Um, over 20,000 emus flocked to the new farmland and began to devastate crops. They ate their fill and left giant holes and fences, inviting even more vermin into the fields to further destroy more wheat. Farmers were concerned and brought their concerns to the Minister of Defense, Sir George Pierce. With these farmers being soldiers, they were aware of the effectiveness of machine guns. They requested that machine guns be deployed to take care of the emu problem. And the Minister of Defense agreed easily with a few stipulations. Of of course. (laughs) Yes, 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 of course. (laughs) Guns. Send the guns for the birds. Um, The guns would be wielded by military personnel and transportation of the troops would be paid for by the Western Australian government. Then the farmers themselves would pay for accommodations, food, and ammunition for said troops. Pierce believed hunting the emus would be good target practice, while at the same time ensuring that the Westerners would end talks of succession. Military involvement was due to begin in October 1932. The war was conducted under the command of Major G.P.W. Meredith of the 7th Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian Artillery, with Meredith commanding soldiers Sergeant S. McMurray and Gunner J. O'Halloran, armed with two Lewis guns and 10,000 rounds of ammunition. The operation was delayed, however, by a period of rainfall that caused the emus to scatter over a wider area. The rain ceased by the 2nd of November, 1932, whereupon the troops were deployed with orders to assist the farmers and, according to newspaper account, collect 100 emu skins so that their feathers could be used to make hats for light horsemen. On November 2nd, the men traveled to Campion, 
where some 50 emus were sighted. Hold on, say that again. On November 2nd, the men traveled to Campion, where some 50 emus were sighted. There we go. You said emus. Did I? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Whoops. (laughs) My B. (laughs) Anyway, sorry. Sorry, my bad. (laughs) Emus. Whoops. As the birds were out of range of the guns, the local settlers attempted to herd the emus into ambush, but the birds split into smaller groups and ran, and they were difficult to target. (laughs) Nevertheless, while the first fusillade from the machine guns was ineffective due to the range, a second round of gunfire was able to kill, quote, a number of birds. Later the same day, a small flock was encountered and, quote, perhaps a dozen birds were killed. The next significant event was on November 4th. Meredith had established an ambush near a local dam, and more than 1,000 emus were spotted heading towards their position. This time, the gunners waited until the birds were in close proximity before opening fire. The gun jammed after only 12 birds were killed, and the remainder scattered before any more could be shot. No more birds were sighted that day. In the days that followed, Meredith chose to move further south, where the birds were reported to be fairly tame. But there was only limited success in spite of his efforts. By the fourth day of the campaign, army observers noted that, quote, each pack seems to have its own leader now, a big black-plumed bird which stands fully six feet high and keeps watch while his mates carry out their work of destruction and warns them of our approach, end quote. At one stage, Meredith even went so far as to mount one of the guns on a truck, a move that proved to be ineffective as the truck was unable to gain on the birds, and the ride was so rough that the gunner was unable to fire any shots. By November 8th, six days after the first engagement, 2,500 rounds of ammunition had been fired. The number of birds killed is uncertain. One account estimates that it was 50 birds, and some accounts range from 200 to 500, the latter figure being provided by the settlers. Meredith's official report noted that his men had suffered no casualties. I would hope so. (laughs) It is a bird. (laughs) A big one. A terrifying bird. Fucking demon bird. Summarizing the calls, ornithologist Dominic Severanty commented, quote, The machine gunner's dreams of point-blank fire into a serried mass of emus were soon dissipated. The emu command has evidently ordered guerrilla tactics, and its unwieldy army soon split up into innumerable small units that made use of the military equipment uneconomic. A crestfallen field force therefore withdrew from the combat uh, withdrew from the combat area after about a month, end quote. On November 8th, members of the Australian House of Representatives discussed the operation. Following the negative coverage of the events in the local media, that included claims that only a few emus had died, Pierce withdrew military personnel and guns on November 8th. 
After the withdrawal, Major Meredith compared the emus to Zulus and commented on the striking maneuverability of the emus, even while badly wounded. The Major said, quote, If we had a military division with the bullet-carrying capacity of these birds, it would face any army in the world. They can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks. They are like Zulus whom even dum-dum bullets could not stop. End quote. After withdrawal of the military, the emu attacks on crops continued. Farmers again asked for support, citing the hot weather and drought that brought emus invading farms from the thousands. James Mitchell, the premier of Western Australia, lent his strong support to renewal of the military assistance. At the same time, a report from the base commander was issued that indicated 300 emus had been killed in the initial operation. Acting on the requests and the base commander's report, by November 12th, the Minister of Defense approved a, a resumption of military efforts. He defended the decision in the Senate, explaining why the soldiers were necessary to combat the serious agricultural threat of the large emu population. Although the military had agreed to lend the guns to the Western Australian government on the expectation that they would provide the necessary people, Meredith was, once again, placed in the field due to an apparent lack of experienced machine gunners in the state. Taking to the field on November 13, 1932, the military found a degree of success over the first two days, with approximately 40 emus, emus killed. The third day, November 15th, proved to be far less successful. But by December 2nd, the soldiers were killing approximately 100 emus per week. Meredith was recalled on December 10th, and his report claimed that 986 kills with 9,860 rounds at a rate of exactly 10 rounds per confirmed kill. In addition, Meredith claimed 2,500 wounded birds had died as a result of the injuries they had sustained, in assessing the success of the call, an article in the Coolgarry Miner on August 23, 1935, reported that although the use of machine guns had been criticized in many quarters, the method proved effective and saved what remained of the wheat. Despite the problems encountered with this call, the farmers of the region once again requested military assistance in 1934. Oops, oh, sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, don't. Oh, God. This is why we don't let Bo in here when we record. <laughs> uh, my dog has found himself twice, once under the table quietly, this time right behind Megan where he's kicking the wall. <laughs> oh, I hope it didn't get picked up by the mics. Knock it off. <laughs> Pervert. <laughs> um... Uh, where am I? Sorry. Oh, no. Sorry. That's my my dog's fault for blowing himself. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. Uh, <laughs> Get that mouth away from me. Disgusting. I haven't um, seen that in a long time. Jesus. Um, despite the problems encountered with the coal, the farmers of the region once again requested military assistance in 1934 1943 and 1948, only to be turned down by the government. 
Instead, the bounty system that had been instigated in 1923 was continued. This proved to be effective. <laughs> I can't. I'm so sorry. My dog, he just looks so fucking, so proud of himself. <laughs> Oh, God, I'm sorry. He's literally standing here staring at me, the biggest smile on his face, like, aren't you proud of me, Dad? (laughs) Oh, I'm I'm so so sorry. sorry. Oh, God, that was my fault. I saw it, and I just couldn't couldn't help myself. Um. (laughs) Oh, yeah, like I said at the get-go, we don't know what we're doing. Nope, no idea. We got a dog blowing himself. I'm (laughs) laughing at it, and Megan's trying to present. Oh, okay. Go on. Sorry. Um, where was uh, la la la? Oh, sorry. Um, the bounty system uh, that had been instigated in 1923 was continued, and this proved to be effective. Fifty-seven thousand thirty-four bounties were claimed over a six-month period in 1934. And by December 1932. Word of the Emu War had spread, reaching the United Kingdom. Some conservationists there protested the call as extermination of the rare emu. Dominic Seventy and Hubert Whittell, the eminent Australian ornithologist, described the war as an attempt at the mass destruction of the birds. Throughout 1930 and onward, exclusion barrier fencing became popular means of keeping emus out of agricultural areas, in addition to other vermin such as dingoes and rabbits. The dingo ate my baby. (laughs) No, it ate your baby. (laughs) Sorry. In November 1950, Hugh Leslie raised the issues of emus in federal parliament and urged Army Minister Josiah Francis to release a quantity of and I don't know how to read ammunition, Tyler. Um, dot 303 ammunition. 303. Just 303 ammunition. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I never heard of 303. It might be 308. Uh, 308's a pretty common round. Uh, it said, maybe it said, maybe it said 308 and I wrote 303. I'll that, look real quick. Okay. I don't know if it's. Yep. Nope. That's a, that's an actual. Caliber. Okay, I've just never heard of it. Um, So, Minister Josiah Francis to release a quantity of 303 ammunition from the Army for use of farmers. The minister approved the release of 500,000 rounds of ammunition. As this is all going on, guns have jammed, um, vehicles have broken apart, and the emus are successfully avoiding attack after attack after attack. Um, And in the end, though, uh, there were several called. It's uh, very amusing to think that humans with machine guns lost a war against a bunch of demon birds. Um, And now it's nearly 90 years later, and uh, there's no denying that emus still won the Great War against a fully packed Australian army, nearly despite all odds stacked against them. So I have actually uh, heard of this before, and 
one thing I remember from when I learned about it, um, they were exceptionally, exceptionally uh, tough. Yes. Like they could take... They could take hit and after hit. Multiple after hit, hits like tanks. to their body. And go. But their heads were so small... They're a hard target. They were, they were a very hard target to hit, so pretty fascinating. I say next time we get into like a, uh, I don't know, some kind of skirmish, military skirmish, we just release a, a boatload of emus and just let them run fucking free. But we'd have to train the emus. You don't have to train them. You just set the fuckers just, wild. Just let them go. Yeah, keep them hungry and <laughs> let them go. You know, that's... uh. Why Disney has so many cats? Disney World, Disney keep the emus away <laughs> because they released a bunch of cats to kill all the mice, and then now cats overrun the area. Well, there's one so, way to solve that. How? Because guns a didn't work. Twenty-two. How did a, how did guns not work against the emus? I'm not, making not the comparison. Emu. I'm talking about the cats. Oh well, against the cat. No, let the cats live. Oh yeah. But I'm just thinking if you like let loose a pack of emus on. Yeah, that's fine. Afghanistan, like that's Afghanistan. It's not America. <laughs> what? The sorry, fuck? sorry. That was a very privileged American. That thought. was so. Um, says white male. Ow. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe they could. Maybe they could use the emus. Maybe they could learn to live in harmony. <laughs> I mean, shoot, they're they're literally they like you know they have goats and stuff. They don't have. That many horses over there, it's too hot for horses. I don't think you can ride an emu. Well, maybe it's like a donkey. Pack animal. <laughs> I don't Make know. Make your emu carry your shit. Yeah, why not? Because it'll fucking eat your face. And No emu has ever eaten anybody's face. Emus are terrifying. Literally zero casualties for the Australians. I, now I, I don't know. Has an emu ever killed a person? <clears throat> and technically the term casualty in warfare doesn't result doesn't mean a death it means a like a a wound a wound is classified as a casualty so nobody was even wounded by an emu mm. nobody's ever been killed by an emu have they not that um, not that's recorded there have been stories about these birds murdering humans but there has been no verified yeah. instance yeah. of death all right well, I don't know. That, I still don't like that emu at the five Lazy Five Ranch. I I knew that name was gonna come up. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't say it earlier, but that oh, was mainly because I couldn't remember it. Yeah, Lazy Five Ranch, yep. not sponsored. Mooresville, right? That's where it's at. I think so. Yeah. All right, we're gonna move it on. Trivia with Tyler. <clears throat> As a philan... Oh, Lord, I hate this word. As a philanthropist... Philanthropist? That one. <laughs> philanthropist. 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 You say tomato, I say tomato. As a philanthropist, actor Paul Newman was counted as the person who had distributed more money in relation to his own wealth than any other American during the 20th century. So, next time you go to Wally World or 
Target or wherever you buy your frozen pizzas at. Maybe think hard about buying a Paul Newman pizza. Okay. Because it might go to donate. It might go to help somebody. Well, I didn't know that. Me neither. Till I learned it. <laughs> Final thoughts. Well, I've not gotten a whole lot of drinking this done, and I haven't added any water because I have quite a bit left. Um, and it did say, like, on the website itself said, like, this is supposed to be drink neat. So, Yeah, well, there's no harm in adding some water at the end. Um, oh, sorry, y'all. Let me put that back where it's supposed to be. There we go. And make sure you check us out on social media and like and subscribe if you're there on YouTube looking at the cameras. Um, and tell your friends. So, yeah. Taste-wise, it's the the spice has definitely gone down for me throughout this. Um, flavors have still pretty much stayed the same, though. So, I think my palate has just adjusted to it. Now, I have not tried it with water in it. I I put some three drops in here. I you know I have just a couple little swigs left, so I'm about to dive in here. All right, cheers, friend. Um, it, it's definitely, I mean, I've gotten used to the heat or the bite. Um, shooting it was like, uh, swallowing a piece of big, big red gum, which is kind of uncomfortable. I had the opposite effect. Really? It took all the spice away. Oh, mine did not. But now I've added water and I'm mixing it together. Well, interesting. So to me, once I added water, it took the spice away from the beginning. It put it more towards the end. It also released a little bit of vanilla, made it a little sweeter, but it also made it very cherry apricot Did it make it thicker for you on the tongue? Yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess like you could say that. It feels more syrupy to me with water yeah, in it. It, it definitely... I, I can agree with that. Um, I didn't really necessarily think about it. Megan looks like she just swallowed wrong. And it went down the wrong pipe. She's. I almost swallowed Wong, Wong and I caught it. Yeah, she's trying to put whiskey in her lungs, guys. <laughs> That's not how this works. Um, I, I like that old joke. Speaking of, I swallowed it Wong. Um, you just said I swallowed I, it Wong. Yeah, I yeah. can't speak. Okay. Um, I love that joke from Futurama. That they go to Amy's parents' house and her last name, their last name is Wong. Wong. You've come to the Wong place. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, anyway, so while Megan's polishing it off over there, making sure it goes down the right pipe, I'm going to take another sip here. Um, enjoyed it much more with water, maybe because it took a lot of that bite away. It definitely brought out the fruit, um, um, made it very thick, like a cherry cough syrup almost feel in my mouth. I definitely get a lot of vanilla in there. Mm. A lot of sweetness. And I uh, I have to say I'm the opposite. I preferred it without the water. I I, I didn't like the mixture of the fruit and the, the vanilla flavor. Very, it, I, it just didn't mix very well for me. I think I would prefer it without the water as well, but I don't think this is a whiskey I would go back to personally. Yeah? Yeah. Just too spicy? Too spicy. Not enough, like... We gotta work on Flavor your. Oomph. We gotta work on your uh, tolerance level. 
Yeah, you're well, not that, just your 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 proof proof level. We gotta get you drinking some a little bit higher proof stuff so you get used to it. So all right, well. Episode ninety, Smoke Wagon Uncut Unfiltered, the Great Emu War of Australia. Yes, the Great Emu War. Give me a number. Um wrap this thing up. Let's say you know, and this is a three. I'm gonna go three. Damn. Are we different? Oh yeah. Oh, we're very different. Okay. Yeah. I. I'm trying to think back and remember what all flavors I got the first time through. It was apple, just a little bit of crisp apple. Um, had a nice nose. Had a lot of cinnamon, a lot of black pepper. Um, and it also had that kind of dark fruit flavor. And a little bit of orange on the back end. Um, I'm I'm gonna go right in the middle. Okay. I'm gonna say six and a half. Okay. I was torn between a six and a seven. So I'm just gonna split the difference. Okay. So smoke wagon. I think you're doing some good stuff. I think it'll be interesting to see what um you know, when whenever you start, uh, you know, I, and I don't even know if they've got like barreled product there that they've distilled. I'm not sure what their what their plan is, but it'd be a very interesting to see what they could distill other than, other than just sourcing, yeah, sourcing whiskey. So, yeah. But all right, well, on that note, guys, we're gonna wrap it up and get out of here. Got a little bit of short episode today. All right, guys. Uh, that being said, uh, you have a wonderful week. Thank you for sticking around, and we will plan on seeing you next week. I am being told to wait. Yeah, it's just the things are up on the screen. There we go. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> uh, once more, thank you to our Patreons. Thank you to everyone who donates, who subscribes, likes, shares, does all the amazing things. We wouldn't be here without you. We hope you have a wonderful week, and don't drink and drive. Cheers. Pervert. <laughs>